It's been four years, and if there's one thing that COVID-19 has taught us, is that some people are dumb, especially in Australia. After all, we led the world when it came to the great COVID-19 toilet paper crisis of March 2020. Now, according to Yahoo Finance uh, writer uh, Tamika uh, Sito, the average Aussie goes through 88 toilet rolls a year, or just about two per week. Did you know that? Are you doing calculations in your own head? Yet the madness that ensued in 2020 had some people wonder if we would be best um, you know, regarded as a group of people that are descending into this post-apocalyptic Mad Max beyond Thunderdome sort of uh, world that we were living in. In fact, in Mareeba, Jack's Coffee Plantation in Mareeba in far north Queensland became so desperate for toilet paper that they offered to trade uh, coffee for some of the precious rolls that were in short supply. And now, believe it or not, academics are writing papers about the saga and what we can learn about human behaviour. Here's two of the papers that have been written about the toilet paper controversy of 2020 um, in Australia, and these are Australian people writing about them. When we think we don't have enough, a scarcity mindset can so easily kick in, and we can easily hold tight to what we have. But can we really say that we're living life well when others go without? Let me pray. Jesus, we recognise that sometimes we can be a bit foolish. We can get caught up in um, just some some stuff in life that just becomes all-consuming and we can panic because of what's going on around us. And yet you call us again and again to trust in you. And so, Jesus, as we spend some time in your word, Holy Spirit, as we look at what you have inspired on these pages, would you speak to us deep today? And would you do a renewing work in our lives as we take this time with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, then I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation um, in a little bit. If you've got a different translation, I am sure you'll be able to follow on just fine. But Mark chapter 6. Now, in Mark chapter 6, we discover that Jesus has been rejected by his hometown in Nazareth, and he returns to ministering in the northern area around the Sea of Galilee. He then comes to the point where he sends out his disciples in verse 7 in pairs on a short-term mission trip around the towns in the region. They were to travel light, relying on the hospitality of others as they go around and share the good news of the kingdom of God. They go as disciples and then Mark records that in verse 30 they return as apostles. And so we come to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there, because there were so many people coming and going 
that Jesus and his apostles didn't have any time to eat. Now, the last time things got this crazy, we read about in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. One time, Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. So soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard about what was happening, they tried to take him away. They thought, he's going mad. So perhaps to ensure that he didn't get in trouble with his mum again, Jesus took the disciples away for some much-needed R&R. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Now, in a scene that would be somewhat reminiscent of the 6,000 Swifties following flight tracker as Taylor Swift's private private jet uh, flies to Australia, the crowds that were flocking to the area um, where Jesus was started to follow just with a few less sparkles and friendship bracelets. And rather than a private jet, Jesus is on a slow boat from Capernaum. As a result, scampering along the five-kilometre shoreline was faster than cutting across to Bethsaida by sea. In Mark chapter 6, verse 33, we read, But many people recognised them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. But as the afternoon sun started heading for the hills, the disciples start getting fidgety. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what? They asked. We would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Or in Greek, it says it would take 200 denarii, remembering that a denarii was the equivalent of a labourer's full day's wage. The disciples asked Jesus the question, with what? And Jesus responds with his question. Did somebody say menu log? Oh, sorry, wrong translation. That must be the New American Standard Bible. Um, How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. How much bread do you have? I wonder what the conversation was like between the disciples as they scouted for food. Who might have been squirreling away some food, they were wondering. What was left in the boat? Finally, they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, do you really think Jesus was looking for a stock take of supplies. Oh, drats. Only two fish? Holy mackerel, if we only had three fish, I could really have done something special with three fish. But the reality is that Jesus' question is less about taking stock of supplies than taking stock of the heart. The question was less about what do you have but more about what are you willing to do with what you have.
How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looked towards heaven and blessed them. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it um, to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. When the disciples look at the two fish and five loaves, what do they see? Do they see an opportunity or do they see indifference? Do they see scarcity or do they see abundance? Because at the end of the day, even Satan knew that Jesus could turn stone into bread. The issue was not what Jesus could do, but what was in the disciples' heart and how they might respond. Penny pinching or giving all they could. They brought to Jesus what they could and Jesus did the rest. And I wonder, out of the five, the ten, perhaps 15,000 people that were present that day, I wonder how many of them knew that a miracle had occurred. Jesus knew. The disciples knew. The boy in John's account probably knew as well. But the rest, the rest of the people were probably oblivious and with it, minimally grateful. A full meal with some entertainment, dinner taken care of, and go back home satisfied. But the disciples were participants in the miracle. They had healed people and cast out demons. But here they were close, up close and personal and partners in Jesus' miraculous response. Overcoming the laws of nature and seeing a feed that was fit for a few filled the mouths and stomachs of thousands. Then to ensure that nothing was wasted, the disciples pick up the leftovers, filling 12 baskets. How much do you have? A story is told of a monk who came to a village carrying nothing more than an empty cooking pot. Upon his arrival, the villagers were unwilling to share their food stores with the hungry traveller. So the monk goes over to the stream and fills the pot with water and drops a large stone in it and places it over the fire. One of the villagers sees him doing this and becomes quite curious about what's going on and so goes over to the monk and asks, what are you doing? The monk answers that he's making stone soup, 
which tastes lovely and which would be, he'd be delighted to share with the villagers, although it's just missing something, a little bit of garnish, just to help improve the flavour. The villager who anticipates enjoying a share of the soup doesn't mind parting with a few carrots, so those are added to the soup. Another villager walks by inquiring about the pot and the monk again mentions his stone soup, which has not yet reached its full potential. More and more villagers walk by, each adding another ingredient, like potatoes and onions and cabbage or peas, celeries, tomatoes, sweet corn, meat, butter, milk, salt, pepper, a whole range of things. Until finally, the stone is removed from the pot and the monk and the villagers enjoy a delicious, nourishing soup together. Today, when we look around, when we see the needs, do we just only see needs? Or do we see opportunities? You know, we have a, a community around us that is hurting because of an increase in the cost of living, because of an increase in intolerance and impatience. We have increasing divisions within our community with, as I mentioned before, a business just a few hundred metres away from where we are tonight, today, um, operating behind locked doors and about to close because of racism and intimidation. We have councillors in our Darabin Council and other levels of government who are experiencing intimidation and abuse from groups who say that they stand against violence and oppression, yet are prepared to perpetrate that against others in our community. And perhaps we look around and think, send the issues about a lack of housing, food, employment or clothing, issues about family violence, send those problems to someone else to fix Jesus because, hey, it's getting late and we want to go home too. Perhaps we look at the needs in the communities in which we live, wherever we live in this world where God has placed us. And we say to Jesus, do something. Perhaps today Jesus' question is, well, how much do you have? As you sit with that question and look at what you have is Jesus really asking you to take an inventory a stock take to pull out your bank balance or your calendar or is he asking more about a matter of your heart how much do you have is about what you have without a doubt but it's more about how do you view what you have. Do you see it with an attitude of scarcity or with belief and abundance? Unfortunately, when many of us become followers of Jesus, we can give our life to Jesus but not our resources. We can still see that what we have is through our eyes of ownership rather than the eyes of of stewardship. This is more than money. 
It includes our financial resources for sure, but it's also about our treasures, the possessions that we have, our time and our abilities. It also includes what is within our responsibility at work and in our lines of accountability as well. Often we see these things as ours. They belong to us and we want to keep control of them. And unfortunately, that can often lead to a heart attitude of scarcity rather than one of abundance. But I wonder what it might mean to shift our perspective, to shift our perspective from ownership to stewardship. All that we have been blessed with is God's. And he has invited us to steward these resources that he has given to us for the benefit of the kingdom of God, to see people experience life through the expansion of the kingdom of God and its goodness. How could you steward your time to help others be blessed in Jesus' name? How could you steward your abilities to help see the needs in our community met? How could you steward the finances that God, God's gift to you to help see the kingdom of God outworked and lives transformed. When Jesus asks you how much you have and you look at the widow's might, the few things that we have, the little time or money or abilities, do we see scarcity or do we see abundance? While the crowd is sitting on the green grass in this biblical account, um, seemingly uh, oblivious to what is taking place, we've had the privilege to look through the shoulders and sneak a peek at what's going on with the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus does four key things. Jesus took what was freely offered, blessed what was received, divided it, and kept giving, and they all had plenty. It's funny how we see, um, we, we see it as a wonderful miracle. Uh, we see it as a, a wonderful thing of abundance when it's the other person who gives. Yet we can often view it with scarcity when we're looking at what we have. But today... Jesus is asking us the very same thing. We can look at the needs around us and Jesus is asking us to do something. Today, Jesus asks us the same thing. How much do you have? We can see the dark side of the toilet paper controversy of 2020. But what about 2024? Will we look at what we have with scarcity or will we look at it with abundance? Mother Teresa of Calcutta began her orphanage in a similar way. She told her superiors, I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Her superiors chided her, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. I know, she said with a sly smile. But with God, 
and three pennies, I can do anything. Let me pray. Jesus, we are blessed. When we look at others around us, we can often make comparisons. But when we look at what you have given us individually, we are blessed. Whether it be through time, whether it be through the talents, the, the, the gifts and abilities that you've given us, whether it be through our treasure, the finances, the resources that we have. Lord, we are blessed. And even if we don't have a lot, you have gifted what we have to us. Help us not to measure with the glass half empty, but to see your abundance of the glass being full. To see the opportunity that you have to use what, what you have given to us that we can bring to you and say, hey God, this is what I've got. It's an abundance when I've got you. Show me how to use it. Help me to see the need and to be prepared to respond to that need. Lord, would you continue to challenge? Would you continue to encourage? Would you continue to inspire us to recognise that with you all things are possible? Amen. So, how might we respond today? Well, there's a few questions that I wanted to leave with you this morning. What are the needs in the world that God has placed on your heart? When you think about what's happening either in the world around you with your neighbours, with your family, your friends, the community, Australia, the country in which you're placed in, wherever it might be, what are the needs in the world that God has placed on your heart? What resources has God blessed you with? It could be time. How can you use your time? It could be um, finances. It could be abilities. It, it could be a whole range of different things. What resources has God blessed you with? How much do you have? Do you view what you have with the eyes of scarcity? Or do you view what you have with, through the eyes of abundance? And what is God calling you to do in response? There's going to be some music played, and as that music's played, I encourage you to take some time to respond to the things that God's saying to you today. God bless you. 